a seat, everybody. Man, I am excited to see you. People in the balcony, what up? That really, if you get a shout out for, and you're sitting in the balcony, y'all should at least go, woo! Thank you. Good gracious, man. If you're balcony people, be like crazy because no one can see you. Um, I just see white shirts and movement. Uh, that's all I see. Uh, we're very excited. I am aware people are sending me subliminal messages by wearing their Cowboys paraphernalia that there is a kickoff uh, about to happen at some point. Uh, Jordan, the drummer, has been letting me know all day long um, from like 8 o'clock this morning. He's like, uh, you know, the Cowboys are kicking off tonight, right? Uh, I just told him, I said, you want to go to my office and watch the pregame? He's like, is that an option? Um, no. It is not. Sit down with your wife. Uh, so we are excited to have you with us uh, at this wonderful Sunday. Two things before we get started. This is the fifth Sunday, so we didn't have growth track. But next Sunday is the first Sunday. And so every first Sunday, we have step one of our growth track. And the growth track, step one is how you become a member of the church. And it's how you hear about the vision and the story of who St. Andrews is and, and who God is calling us to be. And, and, and begin kind of a journey over the next few Sundays of finding your spot working in the kingdom of heaven. And, and Troy and I have just been through the first kind of four steps in this growth track with the first group of people to go through it. And, and I got to tell you, it was, it was a whole lot cooler than I thought it'd be. Um, <laughs> I'm a really great salesman. This is going to be okay. Um, but, uh, but it was awesome. And uh, so I would encourage you, if you're a member of the church already, or if you're like, man, I've been a member of the church for a long time. Great. Still come because it's different. Um, we're doing different stuff, and we're doing uh, new information, and, and it's at, at Sundays uh, mornings, so I know y'all are uh, late people, and we're contemplating doing one at 5 p.m. before this service, but we haven't decided upon that yet, uh, but it's at 10 o'clock in the church offices, which are right there behind that beautiful purple wall. Sorry, thank you. I need the TCU crowd over here. We'll get that. Uh, so um, we're excited about that, and then this Saturday, come on, who's ready for Oktoberfest? Yeah, this Saturday, Oktoberfest, down in the church parking lot on the west side of campus from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock. This is our greatest um, outreach into the community that we do, one of our greatest outreaches uh, into the community, and it's, it's such a wonderful, exciting thing that, that we do. We invite everybody uh, to come onto our campus and just have some good fellowship, some music, some brats, and um, some games for the kids, and face painting for you know, kids of all ages, I don't know what your thing is, but uh, it is, uh, it's going to be a wonderful time. We'd love for you to come. There are still some places that, uh, that we need some help, and there's a sign in the narthex. You can sign up for that. Uh, if you have any questions about it, please see me after the service. Now, on to today's wonderful, comforting sermon. I got to tell you, I've been bummed out all day long. <laughs> Just so, woo! This is a heavy one, everybody, all right? So saddle up, pull up your big boy pants. Here's a, there's a survey that they send out periodically. And, and the question that they ask folks is, um, if you knew that you could get away with it, if you knew without any shadow of a doubt that you could get away with doing something, what is it that you would do? And the answers they get back are quite shocking. I mean, like, kind of scary, uh, in fact. If, when people are like, you mean like nobody would ever know? Uh-huh, yeah, what would you do? Well, let me tell you, right? Like, they've thought it out. Really, like, okay, turn to the neighbor next to you and tell them what you would do, because I know you've thought it out too. I'm just kidding, don't, don't, don't do that. We don't need to hear that dark information in here. 
No, no, no. But, I mean, just, just look at the person next to you and think a little bit differently about them now, knowing that they would do that. And the, and the deal is, because when we hear questions like that, kind of it, our heart is unguarded a little bit. And, and so it, it kind of comes out of us. But, but thankfully, we live in a place where we have learned to modify our behavior, right? We have learned to control those things, with those, those urges, those things that, and we have this belief that we'll get caught, but we also believe that we should modify our behavior. And what, and what Jesus says is, he's like, man, that's great, but I want more, right? In Matthew 15, if you were here last week, we begin with this, and Jesus has this whole big deal with the Pharisees, and they're worried about a traditional hand-washing. He's like, man, that doesn't mean anything if what's inside isn't real. And, and so he says this to the disciples a little bit later. He's like, Jesus, man, what goes into your mouth is just going to come back out again and go into the sewer. But what comes out of your mouth, that comes from the heart. That comes from the heart. And from the heart comes all evil thoughts, murder, slander, um, sexual immorality, theft, um, folly, arrogance. Heart is what matters. So we've learned to modify our behavior, but our heart is sometimes, sometimes left. In fact, a lot of times we're like, hey, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. That's great if something good is in your heart. But what Jesus is talking about is we need to, to really be aware of what comes from our heart. In fact, Solomon says it this way. Solomon, the, the wisest guy to ever live, they say, um, says, above all else, like he wrote a whole bunch of wise stuff, right? A whole bunch of things to give you wisdom for how to live in this life. But he says this, above all else, above everything else that I say, guard your heart. Because from the heart, everything else flows. Doesn't matter what you hear. If, don't, if you don't hear anything else, hear this one thing he says, above all else, guard your heart. Because from here comes everything else. And eventually that everything else, that, that state of your heart is going to spill out onto those closest to you. Eventually what's inside of you is going to come out on your spouse and your children, your parents, the people who are closest to you. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather them have something good if I'm going to get thrown up on from somebody's heart, which is where my mind goes, I want it to be good, like rainbows and unicorns, right? I want it to be something pleasant. And so what Jesus is saying is like, okay, that's great. Let's not be concerned about what goes in. Let's be concerned about what comes out. So we need to be concerned about that. We need to protect our heart. We need to figure out how do we, how do we say no to these emotions that are trying to control us. And one of them is guilt. And, and guilt is an interesting one because guilt, everybody has. Everyone suffers from guilt. Everybody has some sort of guilty thing because what is guilt? Guilt is the emotion that is triggered when you have done something wrong. Right, guilt is, guilt is activated when you have actually done something Wrong, that's not true, but it's when you don't, because there is false guilt, and false guilt, you kind of suffer this guilt even though you have done, haven't done anything wrong, but we're not gonna concern ourselves with that right now. 
we're going to concern ourselves with the fact that you messed up. You said something you shouldn't have. You went someplace that you shouldn't have gone. You did something that you shouldn't have done, or you, or you didn't do anything, or you didn't say anything, or you didn't go. You hurt someone in such a way, and guilt happens. It's activated. Now, there's two ways that, that we typically deal with this. The, the first way is we confront it, and we let it define us. The first way we deal with this guilt is we face it. We, face the, we, we take ownership of the actions that we have done. And, and because of those actions, we say, well, that's who I am. And we beat ourselves up. And we say, well, no one will ever love me. There's no way I could ever get that girl to go out with me because of all of these different things. There's no way that I could ever get that job because of all of the different things because this is just who I am. And we allow it to define us. The second way that we typically deal with guilt is we deny it. What? I didn't do anything like that. I've never been there. I've never done anything like that. You deny, deny, deny. Right? And, and when you deny it, what you do is you end up living a life that is a lie. You, you, end, up, you, you end up writing these, this narrative, this thread of a story that doesn't actually exist. And then you make justifications for things and you say stuff like, well, I wasn't the only one who was doing it. You ever said that? I saw some parents look to the kids right there. It, you know, it, it's like, I, I, I wasn't the only, well, I was only 20. Well, it was, it was my freshman year of college, so you know. Well, it, it was my first job. It, it didn't really matter. Well, you know, my dad was that way and my grandfather was that way. And, you know, it's probably just in who I am. And we begin to weave this fabric of lies and, and set up this whole thing and we stuff it down inside of us and totally ignore it. But that's not very healthy. And eventually those two things come back and they get us because when we refuse to acknowledge it or when we allow it to define it, it controls us. When, when, when we give guilt the power, guilt becomes the boss of us, and it calls the shots. Because when we deny it, and when we have to create this whole story, we have to remember to whom we have told that story and who we have not. When we allow it to define who we are, then we can't be who God wants us to be. And so it controls us. And really the, the reason it does is because we're guilty. <laughs> because we did it. And, and when we do something like that, when you say something or do something that breaks a relationship or that, or that breaks trust is you create this debt-debtor scenario. You create this imbalance of things because you take something from someone, right? I, I mean, if, if you say something against someone, you, you may take some self-esteem or you may hurt them emotionally and you take a piece of them. Or, or, or maybe when you grew up, you have all this stuff and and the childhood was taken from you, or you've taken a childhood from someone, or, or you took a relationship from so you. We have this thing when we do something that hurts someone, we take something. And, and the reason I know this is so true is because when you hurt someone, we always use terms like this. I think I owe them an apology, right? I, I owe them, and I don't know how I can make it up to them. It's the sense that because we've taken from them, we have to do something in order to make it right. It's this weight, really, that is weighed on us. It's this weight that just 
pushes us down. And it gets us out of balance and out of whack. Because that weight, as it, as it hits us and as we let it define us or we tell a different story about who we really are, what we do is, is we begin to operate differently depending on where that weight ends up. Like if your guilt is around parenting of some sort, you may be a really big overparenter where you're really strict and really controlling and the helicopter parent, or you may be the other side, a very big underparenter, where you're like, hey, no rules, buddy. Good luck, here's the keys to the house. We'll see you when you're 20, right? And it's this guilt that's kind of driving this stuff. It's this weight. And think about it this way, once you go apologize, once you go say, I need to make it up to him, and you make it up to him, what do you always say? I feel like a weight's lifted off. Right? You ever had like, oh man, that just, yes. But here's the thing is that, that weight of guilt, it travels. It, it travels with us. Wherever that, wherever that guilt was, like a lot of my guilt comes from San Marcos, Texas, and it didn't stay in San Marcos, Texas. That weight traveled with me wherever I went. That weight traveled with me to the first time I saw my eventual bride across this room and I was like, dang, who's that girl? Those were my exact words, almost. That weight travels with you. That weight of what you did somewhere on your business trip, it comes home with you. That weight of what happened when you were a child or what happened last month or somewhere else, it travels with you. It doesn't leave you. And because it does not leave you, you have to confront it. Because it comes with you, you have to get healthy around it. Otherwise, what happens to guilt is it, is it bleeds into anger. And what happens is when you live in this guilt for so long, you get angry around that one issue. And really what you're doing is you're becoming really angry about yourself like you're really mad at yourself and you're mad that you were in that position and you're mad that you, you're mad that you said that or mad that you did that. You're, you're mad that you went there. Whatever it was, but you're just angry about it. And so you just, this anger then begins to leak onto other people. And, and, and so what happens is as you're stuffing your own emotions and your own guilt and your own failures into the recesses of your heart, you automatically become really very good at seeing the failures of other people. Right, you, you don't see your own failures, but the failure that you have, you can pick it out in other people and you become so judgmental. This anger just spews out onto other folks. And it's just this cycle that as we live in this and, and this anger that just builds up inside of us, it spills on to those we love the most. Doesn't that make you feel great? Like I told you, this has been a heavy thing for me. Aren't you, don't you feel great about yourself? Because here's the bottom line though, is you did it, you're guilty, and you stand condemned. I mean, that's, that's why we get so angry and that's why we try to deny it and that's why it, uh, we allow it to define us is because we did it. Like yes, all those things that I don't even wanna talk about from San Marcos, but I have from the pulpit multiple times, I was there. I made the decision to do it, or to say it, or to be in that place. I made the choice, and I can't go back. I can't, I can't go back. I have this dark spiritual gift of saying the right thing to hurt people, 
It's, it's not a good quality. It came from growing up in my house. This is just how we show we love each other. As we cut each other down. Not everybody's built the way that we are. But there have been multiple times, much less frequently now than they used to be. When I say something, almost on purpose, to hurt someone, and as soon as I say it, the good Michael in the back of my head goes, really? But here's the thing is those words, even if I can see them as a cartoon leaving my mouth, I can't grab them and pull them back. You ever had a, an email rescinded from your, uh, somebody sends you an email and then they uh, rescind it back? You always can still see the email. It always makes me laugh. I'm like, I still read it. <laughs> it's just like those words. You can't take them back. We stand condemned because we did it. All right, let's pray. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're like, wow, that is totally a bummer. <laughs> this, is, this is really a horrible, horrible sermon. Um, so glad you came tonight. But the fact that, man, look, the, the, past, the past isn't meant to be left behind because it's part of your story. It, it's part of the reason you are the way you are, right? And, and it's something that needs to be re- remembered. But, but we can't let it define us, nor can we deny it. We can't let guilt become the boss of us. Let me tell you about this guy. His name's Saul. You all know Saul. He comes on to the, the history of, of Scripture in a major way. And, and Saul, um, if anybody had a right to feel guilty, if anyone had a right to stand there and just let his life be defined by what he had done, or, or if anyone had a right to deny, 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 and create different stories and weave and, and spin everything to try to control the situation, it was this dude. Right, think about Saul. So Saul comes onto the scene. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees by his own uh, name. And he's like, man, I am the best Jew that has ever lived. Bam, I mean, he, he's one of those guys, right? Who walks around and he knows he's smart, he's brilliant, he's a great speaker and he knows it. He walks around, he's like, man, I am amazing. I am the best Jew that has ever lived. And he says similar things like this, but in Greek. And, and, and he's talking about all of the different ways that he studied. I grew up under Gamaliel, the greatest rabbi of the day. I mean, that's like going to the, the Harvard and the Oxford combined. Like, I studied under the best. I was given all this authority. The leaders in Jerusalem gave me power like they gave no one else. They sent me out. And what I did is I went out and I persecuted, I arrested, and I persecuted, and I tortured, and in some cases I even executed people who followed Jesus all in the name of God. Think about this, this guy, was, this guy was out there and he was going around and people were afraid when he would show up. People who followed Jesus were afraid when this guy showed up. Remember the story of Ananias and this angel goes, hey, I want, to, I want you to visit with Saul. And he's like, no, I'm not going near that guy, man. He kills people like me. And then, and then Saul's walking on the road one day And this God who has been in his name killing and torturing all these people shows up to him. He's like, hey, dude, what's your beef with me, man? Why all the tortures? Why all the execution? Why are you persecuting me? 
Think about it from Paul's perspective. Because he then goes on to become known by his Greek name, which is Paul. And he goes in and he plants all these churches. And, and he goes into these places where he is going to plant a church. And he sends these letters to. And he comes in as an authority of the church, the church of Jerusalem, of the church of Jesus Christ that's in Jerusalem, when they send him out, he comes as a representative of Jesus Christ. And there sitting in the front row is the parent of a kid that he executed. There sitting in the front row are children whose parents he had thrown in prison and tortured and they never saw again. Can you imagine the guilt that Paul had? Could you imagine the feelings that, man, of course I'd want to deny all that stuff. Me? No, I didn't do that at all. That was some other guy named Saul Paul. That was a totally different fellow, right? No, 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 no. Or the feeling of just, I could never be used by God because of all the things that I did. If anybody had right to run away from this, it was him. If anybody had right to feel condemned, it was Paul. But Paul says this in Romans chapter 8. He says, therefore... There is no condemnation. Therefore, there is no condemnation. None. Wait a minute. You're saying that with everything that you've ever done, with all of that baggage that you brought into this, this church thing that you're doing here, with all of that hurt and heartache that you have caused, you're gonna stand up here and say these words. There is no condemnation. Yep. Yeah. I'm not forgetting what I did. In fact, Paul didn't run away from it. Paul writes about it. He doesn't, he doesn't deny anything. He's like, this is who I was. I did all of these things. And I will not forget that. But I will not stand condemned. Because I am in Christ Jesus. He says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us. And what, what Paul's doing here is, this, this is, by the way, the core of his theological belief right here at the beginning of chapter 8 of Romans. He's like, I don't stand condemned. No one who belongs to Jesus Christ who understands the cross and, and the tomb and the blood, no one stands condemned when you call on Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now we had the law, and the law tried to save us, but it couldn't. The law, and the law is, what, what, what is the law? The law is setting our standards really low, and saying, these are the things that you ought to do. And if we break those things, we get reprimanded or we get punished and sometimes more severely than others, right? If you look at the law, and there's attorneys in this room, and I'm sorry that you're the bottom rung of society is what I'm saying, that we set standards so low. So standards are set so low. It's like, like we have a law against murder, right? Don't you think that's a pretty low standard? Like honestly? How to treat people? Okay, you know what? You can do it. Just don't murder them. All right? Well, I've never murdered anybody. Yeah, but you're still a jerk and nobody wants to be around you. 
You still treat people horribly. You still talk to them in such offensive ways. You're so ostracizing and, and you're so oppressive. Yeah, but I've never murdered anybody. That's a low standard. Think about it this way. We have social laws, right? Like social laws of, of marriage. And, and we say, you know, when you're married, you should not cheat on your spouse. Pretty low standard if you ask me. If that's the only rubric that you're judging things by, well, you know what? We've been married for 20 years and I haven't cheated on my wife yet. Great, but you're really cold to her and you're emotionally unavailable and you're never home and you choose your job over her all the time. You haven't cheated on her. Big whoop. That's a low standard. Why are we shooting so low when the law just says shoot down here? And if you break even that low standard, we're going to slap you on the wrist and we're going to label you with that forever. Oh, you broke a law. You're a lawbreaker. We know what you did. In fact, we had to put you in prison once. And it follows you for the rest of your days. What the law cannot do, the law can set this low standard. And when you break it, it can accuse you and it can condemn you, but it cannot restore you. It cannot restore you. It cannot take the condemnation for you. And so what Paul is saying here is because of the cross, he says he does something that Moses was unable to do because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son, his only son, in a body like the body we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. See, what Paul is setting up here is this whole idea of what atonement is, of what the cross is. And, and what he suggests here is that when Jesus, who lived under the law and never broke one of the laws, he lived his life perfect according to all of the laws of Moses. He did not sin, but he took the cross. And on the cross was all of the weight of all of the guilt, of all of the shame, of all of the condemnation, of everything that you have ever said or done, or will say, or will do. And me too, thank you, Jesus. On the cross, Jesus said, I will take your condemnation. You're guilty, yes, you did those things and you cannot erase the fact, but you do not stand condemned because Christ took that for you. Yeah, you're guilty, you did it. I did it. But Christ took the divine condemnation. He took my self-condemnation. He took all of the condemnation and said, no, 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 no. You do not stand condemned. And so Paul, who wraps up his argument before he actually delivers it, says, therefore, there is no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, I, I don't know um, how you have lived your life. I, I don't know, I don't know how, may, maybe you don't have the same guilt that I have dealt with in my life. But when I hear those words, 
Like, this is the six o'clock service, right? I affectionately call you the happy hour service because I feel like you're either going before or after. I don't know, maybe that's just my dreaming. But when I say that no matter what you have done in this world, there is no condemnation, that deserves at least one hallelujah is all I'm saying. All I'm saying is one amen, one say, preach it, Brother Crocker. You know, something like that. I don't know. Thank you. <laughs> because, because the fact of the matter is you're guilty, but you're not contempt. And when God looks at you, he sees you. He doesn't see that. Right? And I, I think that's so important for us to hear. When God looks at you, he sees you, his child. He doesn't see that act. He doesn't see what you said. He doesn't see what you did. He doesn't see that. He sees you. And when God looks at her, he doesn't see that in her either. He sees her. And when God looks at him, he doesn't see that in him. He sees him. See, God looks beyond all that stuff because he's like, no, no, I, I've got this covered and I know who you are. You're my child and you're forgiven. So what do you do with this? There's four things. If you're taking notes, this is a good time to take notes. If you're not, start. These are important. Four things that, because this is true. The first one is this. You forfeit the right to condemn yourself. You have lost any right that you ever thought you had to condemn yourself. Because you don't belong to you. You belong to Jesus. You have a new boss. And that boss says, I don't condemn you. So you don't have the right to condemn yourself. So when that shame and that guilt voice pops up in the back of your head and says, oh man, we better deny this, deny, deny, deny. Oh man, this, this is who you are and you will never be anything other than this. You go, no, 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 no. Guilt, you are not the boss of me. I do not stand condemned. I remember my past because it is a part of who I am and, and has made me who I am today, but it does not define me. I am defined by the cross. You've lost your right to condemn yourself, and some of you need to hear that. I can't tell you how many conversations I have with people who come in, and it's the same conversation over and over, and they're dwelling on something that happened in the past. You have lost the right to condemn yourself. Second thing is your guilt will remind you, but it will not define you. Your guilt will remind you, but it will not define you. And in fact, let me say it this way. Andy Stanley calls it a pivot point. And I love that. It, think of those, those past actions, those past moments where you have said something or done something as a moment of pivot where you shift from looking down and embarrassed and groveling to looking up and praising. Because God cleansed you and God redeemed you from that moment. Right, have you ever, have you ever sat next to somebody in, in worship services and, 
and we're singing a song and, and all of a sudden they're raising their hands and you notice that they're raising their hands a little bit more than they normally do because you all pretty much sit in the same spot all the time and, and they have their hands up and then you see some tears start coming down their face. Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but like people who just in a moment, they're just struck by the weight of what God is doing. They're, they're struck by the lyrics and the freedom that's coming and the story that's being told through the music and it just hits them. It hits them in that moment that, that they've been defining themselves for so long and they've been denying for so long that God reaches in and it's that moment, he's like, no, 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 no. but that's not who you are. I see it in, in worship sometimes, I see it in sermons sometimes where, where somebody, and it's not anything that any of us up here are doing, it's when God is moving. This morning, I was worshiping in my office and, and I got here early and, and, um, and that's a lot of times what I'll do is I try to get um, pumped up, you know, preach like a champion today. We have a little sign back there, we all slap, it's awesome. Um, it's not true. Uh, but but, uh, but this, this song from Lauren Daigle came on um, and Lauren Daigle is, um, she's she my soul sister, right? And, and I've, told, I've told this at the other two services, Jenna was at one. If I weren't married to, to Jenna, I would make a run for Lauren Daigle. That's all I'm saying. Like, man, I love her voice. She's got that voice and she is not ugly. Um, but uh, it's this song called, How Can It Be? Anybody know that song, How Can It Be? Okay, so it comes on and how perfect and, and wonderful for today. The first line of How Can It Be is, I am guilty, right? I'm like, Woo, Jesus, yeah, here we go. I'm, I'm talking about guilt today, right? I am guilty. Because I am guilty, ashamed of what I've done, what I've become. These hands are dirty. I dare not lift them up to the Holy One. So you plead my cause, you right my wrongs, you break my chains, you overcome. You gave your life to give me mine. You say that I am free. How can it be? I've been hiding, afraid to let you down. Inside I doubt that still you love me. But in your eyes, there's only grace now. Though I fall, you can make me new. From this death, I will rise with you. Oh, the grace reaching out for me. How can it be? I just, I was so moved by that song this morning. And I, walk, and I walked in here to the worship, and they love when I do this kind of stuff. I'm like, how quickly can you learn How Can It Be by Lauren Daigle? Like, can we do it at the nine o'clock service? And I looked at all of them, and August goes, I've never heard it. I'm like, oh, go off my stage, you know? And so I went in after the service, and, and I played it again, and I'm just sitting in there, and I'm just like, how can it be? What that song did for me today is it reminded me of my past, but it confirmed who I am. It reminded me of, of where I was and all the different things, but I know who I am. I'm not defined by the decisions that I have made. Praise Jesus. I am defined by the cross. Third thing is this. You forfeit the right to condemn others because if you do, you'd be a hypocrite. You forfeit the right to look at other people and to go, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe she said that. I can't believe she did that. I can't believe, oh my gosh, did you hear what he did? You, no, 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 no. If you stand uncondemned 
so do they. If you stand in a place of forgiveness and total forgiveness, then you are in the perfect place and the perfect position to forgive the unforgivable because you know what it means. You know what it means. You're like that woman who walks in at the end of dinner and Jesus is sitting there and she just falls at her knees and she's weeping and she's cleaning his feet with her tears and her hair and everyone is shocked because she's a woman of the night and how dare you come into our room and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. She gets number two because she ain't letting her past define her and she gets number three and you need to get number three. You have no right to condemn her. And then the fourth thing which comes out of the third is you're free to make restitution without expectations or excuses. You're free to go to someone and say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for the way that I, I make no excuses for it. I screwed up, I took something from you. I hurt you, I can't give it back. So I apologize. And what that does is, is that gives them the freedom and maybe the opportunity. Because may, maybe they've been so hurt by that that they've shoved it down. And maybe you going and saying, well, I don't stand condemned. I don't fear the consequences of confession more than I fear the consequences of concealment. I don't fear what's gonna to happen to me if I confess that I have made these things because I don't stand, like me personally, I don't stand up here alone as the only one in this room who has ever sinned. I don't know everything about your lives, but I have a pretty good feeling that I'm not the only one. Now, I may have a darker story than you do. And I may be more like that woman who comes up to Jesus, falling on my knees and, and, and weeping on the feet of Jesus and saying, thank you so much, God. Man, I'm sorry, I, man, I'm guilty. And some days I don't feel like my hands are worthy of being raised to you. But I know that that's not how you see me. I know that I'm forgiven, just as you are. Sometimes that's the hardest person to forgive, is you. So, sometimes, and, and I gotta tell you, I had something that happened in my past 30 years ago or more. It scarred me. It was something I did and, and it, it darn near took me down and continued to do so for decades. There would be something that someone would say or, or something would happen or something would come on TV or a song would be played. There were so many different triggers that would happen in my life. And when it would trigger, I would immediately begin to define my life by a choice I made so long ago. Even though arguably what I did back then wasn't nearly as bad as what I did much later in my life. 
but it hit me in such a way that I couldn't let it go. I don't know how many times I've been on my knees going, God, forgive me. Forgive me for that moment. Forgive me for that day. Forgive me for that season in my life. Forgive me for the way that I treated. Forgive me for what I said. Forgive me for these things, God. Please remove this guilt from me. Please remove this shame from me. I'm sorry that I couldn't live up to what you had planned for me. I gotta be honest, I wasn't walking with Jesus back then anyway. Uh, we went to church, the Episcopal church, where you go to church, you don't talk about your faith, right? I didn't have that relationship with him. And it was only when I really had relationship with him that it really hurt me and dug deeper into who I was. And that's the ironic thing because God's going, we've already had this conversation, Michael. Like, seriously, it's gone. Every time you bring yourself down when you remember this, you just turn yourself away from feeling my glory. Every time you, you try to define yourself by this from so long ago, you refuse to let me define you. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Do you need to hear that today? Do you need to know that you're forgiven? Do you need to know that you're not defined by your past? Yes, we remember it because it's part of our story and it's important. It's one of those questions, would I change anything about the life that I have led? And the answer for me is no. It's a hard answer at times. But if I didn't go through all those things that I went through, I wouldn't be here today with an amazing wife and beautiful kids and a congregation that sometimes says hallelujah. Oh, now you're just patronizing. But is there something in your life that's seeking to define you? Is there something in your life that, that you're trying to push aside and just deny, deny, deny? Man, tonight's the night to let it go. Tonight's the night to just say, you know, no longer is that going to have control over my life. Because when I gave my life to Jesus, I said, there's a new boss in town and guilt, you are not the boss of me. Come on now, I need y'all to say that with me. Guilt, you are not the boss of me. Shame, you are not the boss of me. Embarrassment because of those things, you are not the boss of me. I stand redeemed by the, by the blood of Christ. I'm guilty, yes, but I am not condemned. Our prayer team is gonna be on either side of, of the sanctuary when we get into this, but, and our ushers are gonna come forward in just a second, but I wanna pray right now, and I just, I just ask you to join me in prayer. Father, I, I come to you tonight, and God, this is, <laughs> this is a heavy sermon for me. And maybe it was heavy for me, even though I, I've really dealt with all this stuff in my life and guilt isn't the emotion that drives me, but maybe it was so heavy because there's someone in this room and I knew and you knew that they would be here tonight, that guilt is their thing. That from the moment they saw guilt on that piece of paper, from the moment that I got up here and I began to talk about guilt, their stomach's been turning, their hands have been clammy, their heart has been beating faster, they began to sweat on their forehead and people are looking around at them like they got the Ebola, but it's because you're speaking to them. 
It's because you're moving in their life right now because they can't understand what it means to stand guilty but not condemned. To stand saying, yes, I did those things, but those things do not define me because I am defined by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am cleansed by the blood. I am healed by his stripes. I am set free. And so God, I come to you right now, and if anyone is in that place tonight, God, I pray that the, as, you, as Paul says, the power of the Spirit would bring freedom into their life, that you would break those chains of guilt, that you would break those chains of shame. Whatever the world is trying to lay on top of them, time and time again, that you would cast that aside and they would stand on the solid ground that is you, your love, your peace. Father, we are guilty, but we are not condemned because boss is not, guilt is not the boss of us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name, amen. Would you get up one more time and, and worship with us? And if, if you need to come pray, because look, that prayer is powerful. And sometimes you need somebody just to, you come up here and, and this is my favorite prayer of all time. It's in scripture. The guy comes to Jesus and, and Jesus is talking to him and he's doing this whole stuff. And the, and the guy turns to Jesus and goes, I believe, help my unbelief. It's the shortest prayer and I love it. Sometimes that's all you need. I know who I am. I don't stand condemned, but help me. If you need prayer today, please come forward. Father, we thank you for this, this offering that we are about to give to you. Everything that you give us is yours. And so we give back to you and your glory and your, your power. Would you magnify this so that others may know of your freedom and others may have their chains broken because we are a people who believe that as we walk into the blood of Jesus Christ, we are free. We are your sons and daughters who go into this world proclaiming the goodness of who you are. So receive this offering and magnify it so that your kingdom may come, as Jesus said, here and now. We thank you and praise you in his name. Amen.